You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Hello to all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew, and joining us today is Zoe Nicholson. So Zoe is one of Australia's leading dietitians. She's the owner of and senior dietitian at Figure 8, a full-time dietetics practice specializing in the non-diet approach and food intolerances. You may also know of Zoe as the co-founder of the Moderation Movement, or perhaps you've seen her in the media or at a professional development workshop. And she's also a member of several DAA special interest groups. So Zoe is on the show today to discuss the moderation movement, as well as her work and her mission as a dietitian. Hi Zoe, thank you so much for joining us on the Dietitian Connection podcast today. I have to say I um, often get starstruck when I'm talking to guests and this is most definitely one of those moments, so uh, very excited to have you here. Thanks Kate, it's an absolute pleasure and an honour to be here. So I thought we could start off with discussing how you developed your passion for helping people uh, learn to enjoy food and manage their health without dieting. Okay, so there's a long version of this story and there's a short version. So in the essence of time, um, I'll try and stick to the short version. So um, I'd say it started in high school. Um, I sort of got an interest for managing my eating um, and I had, uh, there was a, a phase I think in year 10 where uh, quite a few of the students were interested in how I was eating. It's partly to do with I, I was competing in aerobics so I was, I looked fit. So people wanted to know, okay, well what's she doing? So I sort of started saying this is what I eat and that um, sort of led to this idea of becoming a dietitian. And I left school with this idea that I could just help anyone um, be fit and healthy uh, if they ate less and, and moved more. Um, I see the naivety in that now, obviously, uh, but that's that that was sort of my, my starting point and then felt the same through uni. Um, I took a bit of time off between school and uni and travelled and I've always loved food. I've always really enjoyed um, cooking and eating. So I worked for hospital in hospitality for quite a few years um, and one of the things that struck me then was you know people worried about food and thinking they shouldn't eat certain food and I was always of the belief that you should be able to be as fit and healthy as you want eating all the food that you enjoy because I did it so everyone else should be able to do it so I left uni still with this idea that I could just help anyone you know lose weight and be as healthy as they wanted to be you know eating all the food that they enjoyed uh, so I guess that's that's really where that that started. Okay. And then into that, a little bit about the moderation movement. Can you tell me what it's about and who it applies to? Sure. So the moderation movement came about in the end of 2014. And it came about, I was getting fed up with seeing 
all the extremism with with eating um, and exercise, but from my part more so eating. So the the, the Pete Evans and the Sarah Wilsons and the um, all the extremism, the clean, the, the, the rise of clean eating. And I just started being this voice as a counter to that, saying, look, it's fine if you want to do that, but you don't need to, there is another way. And I was doing that on my figure eight page for about a year. And Jodie Arnott, who runs the moderation movement with me, had been following my page and she loved everything that I was about. So she contacted me uh, and we got together. So Jodie Arnott's a, a fitness professional, runs Healthy Balance Fitness, a personal training business. And we thought, how could we get together and, and be a counter voice for all this extremism? And that's we thought we'd start with a Facebook page as a way to, to build an audience and then perhaps look at running events, which we've started doing now. Uh, but when we started the Facebook page, it just took off overnight, wow. literally. Wow. Um, and it, it's essentially it's for anybody. Um, so for people who are sick of dieting, for people who are sick of extremes with eating, uh, and for people who've you know developed or had for a long time quite a disordered relationship with food and their body, and what I've seen is a real increase in that with this, uh, it, with all the extremism with eating. So it's all, you know it's really exacerbated anyone who already had a slightly troubled relationship with food and their body. Um, so really, what our page offers is a um, an alternative to all that extremism and a way to. Uh, heal your relationship with food um, and with your body. So it fits, I'm trying to think, it was 2014. It was 2014 that I really discovered the non-diet approach as well, which had been introduced to me by Fiona Willer in 2010. Um, right. And I wish I'd paid more attention to her then, but that's okay. Hindsight's always a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, I remember she, she came up to me at a conference and she said, Zoe, you know, you have a look at my research. This is right up your alley because she was aware very much my, my philosophy has always been non-diet approach, but mm -hmm. I was I was still a weight loss dietitian. I wouldn't have said that then, but I'm comfortable saying that now. And I was doling out meal plans and doing, you know, which really is another form of dieting. Uh, but because my philosophies were the same, I looked at what Fiona was doing. I thought, oh, I'm already doing that. I don't need to have a look at that. And kept going on my merry way, but uh, desperate to find some... Um, CPD that I felt was relevant to me in 2014, I stumbled across Fiona Willer's website and um, booked in for the workshop, read the book and the rest is history, as they say. And that was October, November 2014. That's pretty much when we started the moderation movement as well. So the two just went. For me, it was like the missing piece in the puzzle in my career. Like I loved being a dietitian. I loved doing what I was doing, but I always felt there was something that just wasn't quite right um this idea that we had to be you know that i needed to be telling people how much to eat and what to eat um so yes when i discovered the non-diet approach and the concept of intuitive eating it was yes yeah, i said just the, the piece in the puzzle that had been missing um and it's really partly you know what's fueled everything behind the moderation movement as well so is it safe to say that meal plans don't get used in your practice uh, not in the way that they used to get used. Okay. So there are some cases where um, meal plans are still useful or necessary, but they're, 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 they're very different styles. So it's more with uh, recovering from eating disorders or, and they're more 
semi-structured um, or loose meal plans as opposed um, as opposed to go away and eat like this and you'll lose a kilo a week. Yeah, and they're not so weight loss meal plans at all. Okay, yeah. Um, in saying that, do you use the moderation um, approach to uh, weight loss if you had a client who wanted to lose weight, or is that just a different no, ball game? No. That's one of the things it's been it's really pleasing to see how many dietitians are picking up on the non-diet approach and intuitive eating. Okay. But something that a few of us have noticed is this idea of the non-diet approach to weight loss. Mm. And uh, it doesn't quite work like that. Essentially, okay. so no, it is it, it's not a weight focused process. It's not anti-weight loss. It's not saying that, you know, no, you can't lose weight and you won't lose weight. It's just taking the focus off weight loss mm -hmm. and uh, I could spend half an hour talking to you about the, the the reasons for that but one of them is that when weight loss is the focus it really contaminates the intuitive eating process in the sense that it um, it clouds the ability to listen to be able to tune into your body's internal cues when you're focused on weight loss so um, so you're really helping people become more um, in tune and be able to listen to their bodies. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So on that note, can you tell me a bit more about how mindfulness and psychology principles tie into your practice? Sure. So I'll start with the psychology because I recognise that probably, you know, in, in the very first two weeks of practising uh, where I suddenly realised there was going to be a lot of psychology involved. And I remember saying to my mum, I think I'm going to have to go and do a psychology degree. And, yeah. and my mum, with her wise words, said, just you know, keep going for a little bit longer. You might pick up what you need to along the way. And in a sense, she was right. So you, you develop a level of um, relating to people, um, dealing with their, psycholo their psychology but without being a psychologist. But I did go and do a number of postgraduate short courses to... Um, gain counselling skills and they've been invaluable. It's really what we're looking at with people, it's not what people are eating for the most part, it's not what people are eating, it's how people are eating and it's the drivers behind why people make the food choices they do or if it's emotional eating, the drivers behind that. So having, you know, dealing with a person's psychology is absolutely fundamental Mm -hmm. to um, I think even before doing non-diet approach I don't believe you could you could practice as an effective dietitian to help someone change lifestyle behaviors if you weren't addressing psychology and one of the beautiful things um, about the non-diet approach and I said this to a group of psychologists once is there was um, I was getting doing more and more psychology within the scope of of being a dietitian and some of the courses I did I was trying some of these techniques, but I felt a little bit uncomfortable. And what I started to recognize is I don't want to be a psychologist. I want to be a dietitian. And the beauty with the non-diet approach is it really gave me the tools to um, not feel like I needed to be a psychologist. So it gave me the, the, the tools to be able to deal with the, the psychology from a dietetic point of view and to really be able to recognize when I needed to refer to a psychologist which is something I do a lot more now than, than what I used to do. And I feel a lot more confident doing that. Yeah, yeah so I wanted to ask as well, is that uh, something that um, 
is, I guess, common in your practice. If you need to, you you have a psychology network that you can refer to. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then the mindfulness side of things, uh, and I guess, you know, the mindfulness has always been there as well. And that's, but, you know, to be able to be aware of why you're doing what you're doing, um, but particularly in terms of um, helping people reconnect with their hunger and fullness. So mindfulness, um, so being um, aware in the present moment to be able to start to pick up on internal cues of hunger and fullness, but also of how food um, tastes, how food leaves you feeling in your body. Uh, and I think mindfulness covers obviously a whole, a whole scope of things, but also being able to recognise what drives behaviours and, and actually just practising um, mindfulness in terms of being able to hit that pause button uh, and mm. stop and slow down and help people. A, a lot of people spend a lot of time in their head. There's a lot of thought processes going on and when people are spending so much time in their head, uh, they're less likely to be connected to what's actually going on in their body. So certainly mindfulness practices can help a person spend a little bit less time in their head and get back in, in tune with what's actually going on in their body. Mm. Yeah, you described that so eloquently, Zoe. Thank you. Um, so if you could address one of the barriers facing the shift towards the non-diet approach and also intuitive eating, what would it be? That would be the weight. So we still very much live not only in a a weight-obsessed culture where so many people are desperate to lose weight and they feel that that's the thing that they must do, but we also very much our culture is still um, equates weight with health. Mm. And that would be within the medical profession but also within the dietetics profession, this idea that in order to improve someone's health, you need to reduce their weight despite the fact that there is no evidence to support that weight loss improves someone's health long-term. And that's just because not enough people have lost weight and kept it off long enough to be able to even test that hypothesis. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So sustaining the weight loss for the rest of their life. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah. we know, it, unfortunately, diets work short-term. Mm-hmm. And in fact, any even if you are giving someone a meal plan with reduced calories to lose weight, and you're doing that in a sensible, non-restrictive, quote unquote, restrictive um, way, that's still dieting, and that's mm-hmm. still most likely, um, as you know, seventy odd years of history have shown us, is only going to lead to a short-term weight loss. So the, the issue is how do we get people to not focus on weight um, and focus on health or not, n- not tie the two of them um, together so, so intrinsically. But that is really difficult very much because we still have a medical model that is saying that, no, you need to lose weight in order to be healthy or your BMI needs to be, you know, in a certain range. And we also have this weight-obsessed culture uh, or this fat-phobic culture, there's a huge fear of weight um, in our culture. Uh, it's almost like, you know, gaining weight or being fat is the worst thing that you could possibly be. So you tie that together with uh, basically you know, health messages that are saying, you know, if there's an obesity, obesity epidemic, if you're fat, you're going to die, then 
you know, we've got an awful lot of people out there who, who are convinced that weight loss is the answer. I imagine um, many of the listeners will be familiar with Haze, which is mm. health at every size. And the health at every size approach is it, foc- it focuses on health behaviours. So it's saying that it's not saying that at any size someone is healthy, which is often the the, the misinterpretation. Yes. Or yeah. that it you know, and it's certainly not promoting obesity, which I, I don't know that there's any dietitian saying that, but there's certainly some general public saying that, and and certainly med- some medical profession professionals as well. Um, what it's saying is that no matter what size and shape a person is they can take steps to improve their health without focusing on weight loss. So it's focusing mm-hmm. on the health behaviours. So that would be, you know, um, physical activity, how a person is eating, but also a personal a person's psychological and emotional health as well. Yes. Um, so for the listeners who want to adopt the same moderation principles and philosophy into their practice, what steps can they take? Surround themselves with like-minded people. So, um, it, you know, there's certainly if, you, if they don't if you don't know about Hayes, have a look into that. And there's lots of Facebook pages that would be a good uh, place to start. So, uh, there's the Health at Every Size Facebook page. It's obviously our Facebook page. There's Body Positive Australia, which is Fiona Sutherland and and Sarah Harry. There's some great. Uh, podcasts as well so there's an american dietitian called julie duffy dillon who has what's called the love food podcast so you can find her on facebook as well or just google her name uh and uh, another one i've just discovered recently is a a swedish um ex dj and uh, freelance writer called merit boxler who's got a podcast called life unrestricted Mm -hmm. and even just starting with those, they will put you on to lots of other health professionals or individuals who are working within the Hayes paradigm and um, in line with intuitive eating. And I should, sorry, sorry I'll just add, um, for, I guess for dietitians wanting to start learning more about non-diet approach, absolutely doing Fiona Willow and Fiona Sutherland's non-diet approach workshops. Mm-hmm. Doing um, reading intuitive eating. I mean, there's a bunch of books to read, but there's the two to start with. One, intuitive eating, by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, and there's another brilliant book. So that's written for the general public, but uh, I think it's a must read for dietitians as well. But there's a book that's written for health professionals called Beyond a Shadow of a Diet, by Judith Matz and Ellen Frankel, and that is just when I started reading that, it was. Just my brain was exploding um, with information and 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 just facts and how essentially the world we myself included for a long time, you know, had this misguided way of of thinking about health and how to help people manage their health. Uh, so yeah, that that there's really some really good starting points. So I just add that. So on my website, I've got a non-diet approach research page. So all of those books. Uh, and podcasts and all of that um, are listed there as well. Oh, great. Thank you, Zoe. So what's the most important thing that you've learned in your 12 years of private practice so far? Oh, great question. It would be along the lines of what I have learned through uh, 
learning about or understanding about intuitive eating. So it would be that we don't need external factors to manage our eating. That actually as humans we have this inner body wisdom that knows how to feed ourselves and by actually being really in tune with our bodies we don't need to worry about calories or portion sizes or all those external factors that for years I was using in my practice to help people manage their eating. And I actually thought I was doing that for myself as well. So up until a couple of years ago, I thought I was managing my weight and my eating through being aware of my calorie intake and portion sizes. When in actual fact, I was I, I did have attunement to appetite. I just hadn't thought about it like that. But in the last two years, I've let go of all of that. I no longer think about calories or portion sizes. Um, I just eat whatever I feel like. I used to be a lot more careful with my fat intake, not used too much oil, not used too many nuts, avocado, all that sort of thing. Now I'm really liberal with all of that. I just, there's no, um, I've taken, lifted all of those external food rules that I used to have or use with people and I truly just eat what I feel like but with attunement to my appetite and, you know, my weight stayed exactly the same. So obviously, you know, genetics play a big part in what weight your body is going to sit at. Um, so yes, just really, really learning that truly just trusting your body and being in tune with your body, uh, is a much more, is a much better and more fun way to manage your eating. And it's a much more fun way to work with clients as well. Yeah. And how are you feeling as well since that? I probably feel exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of working as a dietitian, um, I would say, look, I've always loved what I've done. I've always enjoyed my work. I probably was getting a little bit stale um, getting, you know, in 2013, 2014. That's why I was sort of desperately looking for some CPD. I thought it was kind of getting a bit monotonous. Uh, but this has really opened. I sort of feel like I've got a whole new lease on life and practice and there's so much more to learn and do. So, it's yeah, it's just much more fun as a dietitian working this way too. Yeah, that's beautiful. And Zoe, just a little bit about yourself. What's your favourite meal to cook for family and or friends? Just to finish us off. Oh, that's a really tricky one because um, I love I love cooking, and it's I often have, have this conversation. There's a few dietitians I talk to this about. Some that aren't so big on cooking, and often people think that I'm a really I'll use the word fancy cook, um, and I'm actually not at all. I just the, the the pictures I post tend to be when I'm eating out, and I love that sort of gourmet food eating out I don't I'm a fairly simple cook myself that said if I'm having a dinner party I like to get a cookbook out and cook something I haven't cooked before but it would be different every time um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind so something I love cooking is lasagna because <laughs> I like something that takes you know it takes an hour or two and you can have a glass of red wine or two while you're doing it and there's a little bit involved but I know it so well that I don't need to I don't need to use a recipe and I make it a little bit different each time I can play around and add things to it um, yeah. Are you one of those cooks that doesn't need to measure everything? You just kind of get a feel for how much you need? Yeah. So when I'm cooking food that I just sort of everyday food or stuff I'm familiar with, yeah, I just sort of, you know, go with what feels right. But if I'm cooking a, to a new recipe for a dinner party, then I'd be you know, measuring things out. 
Look, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been this has been a very refreshing conversation and really wonderful to um and get an insight into your work and particularly the moderation movement. So thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And for all of our listeners, we'll have the key points from this episode and some uh, resources and a link to Zoe's website on our show notes at dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, Kate. So I hope you guys, the listeners, were able to get as much from that episode as I was. And if you would like to enjoy even more opportunities, further inspiration and a front row seat to community discussions with like-minded nutrition leaders, then the Dietitian Connection Premium Membership is for you. Your premium membership will ensure that you're informed with the exclusive Dietitian Connection newsletter. And one of the most useful resources is all year round access to webinars as well as discounts at Dietitian Connection events. So to sign up, go to dietitianconnection.com and then pop to the member benefits tab and select premium benefits. Thanks again for being a part of the Dietitian Connection community. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast.